Well, anyway, uh, it is good again to be here with you on Father's Day. And again, as we, as we mentioned, uh, Father's Day, for many, it's a good, it's a kind of a joyous, fun time. And we know that just like things like Mother's Day, Father's Day can also bring up pain. Uh, for some of you, maybe you grew up without a father or a strange relationship, or perhaps even that this is your first year without your father and, and just brings up different memories, things like that, um, as well as uh, what we often mention even on Mother's Day. But some of you in here wish you could be a father. And it just hasn't been in the cards for you. Either uh, you have a season of singleness or you're married and you just haven't been able to have kids. And we know that that is a painful time to you sometimes. We want to recognize that and just acknowledge that um, it's not, you know, that, that sometimes you have that pain and God wants to meet you in that. He loves you where you're at and cares about you. And so we are so grateful you are with us here today, even if this is a day you like to avoid. So thank you for being here wherever you are, um, kind of on that range. So it's great to be with you. Uh, before we get going with our work, uh, the study for today, let's pray and get started. God, we thank you again for this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we take a look into your word, I pray that would you transform and change our lives. And God, that these words would be yours. Would you speak to us today and meet each one of us with the words we need to hear, that we can understand more about who you are and, Lord, be transformed about, over the promises that you have for us. So we thank you and give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, chapter 16 and 17 will be there today. I'll give you time to find it. I want to talk to you about the story in that, that you'll find. So the story that we find ourselves in today was a story that was building, and it was kind of a normal, became a normal routine for these two nations. See, one of the nations was established and living in a land. In fact, they had their first king who was over them. But there was a new nation that had come from a, a distant land and they were moving in and they were causing wars with the one that was there. They had a, now a period of time where they kept fighting against each other in battle after battle. And here we found themselves again faced off. One army camped on the top of a hill over a valley and the other on the other side. Neither army wanting to give up their strategic position of the high ground. And neither army also very interested in seeing the bloodshed once again between the two. The soldiers who were serving preferred to stay alive because they've seen a lot of death. And so as they stood there at a standstill, we find for nearly 40 days, every morning of that, that one side decided they were going to take this ancient tradition that option often happened in their land and where they would have one warrior come out to challenge the other. And so this army sent down their mighty warrior who stood taller than most men ever could imagine. He was in his full armor, carrying a spear and a javelin. He had an armor bearer in front of him. And he called out to the other side and said, come and fight me. I challenge you, send your best warrior. And if you can defeat me, then you can defeat our whole army. And day after day, for 40 days, this mighty warrior, who stood near seven feet tall, perhaps taller, came out and challenged them every morning. And every morning, the soldiers in the army of Israel looked out at that warrior and said, not me. I'm not going out there. Even King Saul who is said to be taller than most men himself, 
said, I'm not going out there. I've got a nation to lead. And then there was the one day when the shepherd boy showed up. He was the youngest of eight sons. He showed up bringing food for his three older brothers and the commander over his brothers. He brought the food, he saw the lines, he went to the front where his brothers were standing and it was one of these mornings when the mighty warrior from the Philistines came out and called out his morning challenge to the nation of Israel. As he called out, he said, I challenge you and I challenge the army of Israel to fight me. The shepherd boy looked around and wondered why no one was taking him up on this. You see, because a shepherd boy understood something different about this story that no one else did. He understood that this wasn't a challenge against the people of Israel. You see, he understood very well, culturally, this meant this nation who's invading their land, bringing their new practices and the gods that they worshiped and the idol, idols and the idolatry and everything that came with their way of life, he knew that that meant they were bringing that against his God, and his nation. He understood that it wasn't about this battle, it was about whose God is going to show up this day. So he went to the king, and he said, King Saul, I'll go. I'll fight. And the king looked at this young shepherd boy and said, I, I don't think you understand. This is a mighty warrior out there. Look at him. He's been killing people since he was your age, and he's much older than you. You don't stand a chance against him. But the shepherd boy wouldn't take no for an answer. He said, I'll go. No one else will go. I will go. So the king took his armor, and he put it on David, and it weighed him down. He tested it out for a moment and tried to swing the sword and said, this isn't how I fight. I've never tested this stuff. This isn't me. And he took it off. And he picked up what he was familiar with, which was his shepherd's staff and his sling. And he picked some rocks and he went out to battle. And this day when Goliath sees the shepherd boy coming to him, he says, are you kidding me? Who am I that you send a little boy out to fight me? And what's he carrying, sticks? Do you think I'm a dog that you're going to come and hit me with sticks? And he said, come here, shepherd boy. I'm going to rip you in half and feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the shepherd boy came back and said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You have it all wrong. Today, I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head and the birds of the air are going to eat you. And most, most of us in here know the rest of the story. David takes out his sling and he puts a rock in it and he swings it around a few times. He releases this, the rock towards the giant, strikes him in the head, he falls over unconscious. The whole army of the Philistines now is in shock. The armor bearer doesn't know what to do. David runs over to him, takes the sword of the giant, cuts off his head and holds it up. <laughs> And the armies of the Philistines saw this happen and they all said, time to go. They turned and they ran. 
You see, this story is a story that we often think of as a story of uh, one that has become well-known throughout the world. In fact, it's become a metaphor for an underdog. We hear it in sports all the time. We hear it in politics all the time. We hear it when anyone is facing someone or something that they shouldn't overcome. It's the David and Goliath story. It's the ultimate story of an underdog. But as I look at the story, I want to change our mind about this today. See, I don't think this story is about an underdog at all. I think the real underdog in this story was the giant. It was Goliath. This story isn't about David ever thinking that he was facing great odds. It was about confidence and understanding who his God really was and what was going to happen that day. And so today as we look at this story, I want us to kind of see what was really happening here and what great what better story for Father's Day than something like this, huh? You see, David understood something bigger. So what is it that we see that David understood, and how was this story set up to not be an underdog story, but a story that had a guaranteed ending? And how does that apply for us today? How are we in good company with David How do we find grace for our lives today because of what we have seen in the past? That's what we want to look at. So I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. The story begins, and the first part of this story that we need to understand is the preparation. It's the preparation. If you like to take notes, start with that. See, God was preparing not just David, but he was preparing the scene for this event for a long time. God understood, and he understood as the Philistines were coming into this land and bringing their form and their worship of multiple deities. And in the ancient world, as you would come in and conquer a land, you would convert it to your faith. And so God was preparing them to say, no, this is my land. I want people to know who I am, the God of the universe who loves even those who are attacking us who is not giving to this human sacrifice and all these different things that are part of some of these foreign uh, deities that were coming in. But he was preparing it. Now, he had a king, Saul, who was king over Israel. And we're not looking too much or at Saul's life, but Saul uh, had basically, he was the first king. The nation of Israel wanted a king. God said, no, you really don't want a king. I'm your king. And they said, no, we need to be like everyone else. Every other nation has a king. We want one too. So their prophet Samuel said, you need to understand, as soon as you ask for it, you're going to get it, and sometimes you don't want what you ask for. So they got King Saul. It didn't take long before we saw that King Saul, who started off with humility, had some moments in his life of great pride. He started thinking this was based on him and his power and who he was. And so God had decided it's time to move on from Saul. And so they were going to anoint someone who would be the new king after Saul. So we find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're not studying this whole one. I just want to show you a couple verses. Many of you are familiar with this, perhaps. But the prophet Samuel knew he was going to this, uh, this home in Bethlehem with a guy named Jesse was the father. He had eight sons. And Samuel was coming and was going to anoint one of them as the new king over Israel when Saul would pass. And so Jesse brought seven of his sons before him said, hey, I've got eight, seven will be enough. You'll find a king out of these seven. The other one's busy. He's the little boy. He's out in the field. He's a shepherd. 
Start with these guys. And as Samuel goes through them, he sees the first one who's tall, handsome, <laughs> thinks he's got to be king. He looks like a king. And we have this great verse in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says this, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, I believe that this verse is actually the setup for the whole narrative that we find in David's life. And often we use this verse to talk about character. It's more important what's on the inside than the outside, and that is true. That is a good thing. But what we find in this story and the narratives around David is constantly we see that what appears on the outside to be the way things are going to happen, God has a different plan in view. When it appears to us that the best way to fight is to kill a giant and that's of great odds, God sees that those odds are not against you at all. When Saul sees and thinks that David should be wearing armor because to fight you should have armor because that's how man sees, God sees something different. And he was preparing this story that we can understand the greater principle is that God is not looking at the story as we often look at the story. The good news for all of us today is that the story that we often look at, God sees something much greater than we see. When we see a relationship that can't possibly ever be reconciled, God sees hope. When we see someone who's wandered away from the faith, we see someone who deserves justice. How could you turn your back on God? But God sees someone who he has justified. When we see someone who is an addict and struggling and saying, we look at them and think they're hopeless. God says, this is my precious child who I can redeem and restore and heal. Aren't we grateful that God does not look at the world like we look at the world? Anyone in here grateful that God looks at the world differently than the way we see it? You can help me on this. You can always help me. It's good. See, because God doesn't see the way we see. That, I want you in your Bibles, if you take notes, if you underline things, underline that. And it's more than character. This is every situation that we face. He's not looking at it like you're looking at it. He was preparing David for that. In fact, in verse 13, we see then, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of God was empowering David. He was being prepared. He was being prepared for this moment, not just that moment, but for his life. And let us not forget that when we are in Christ, that the Spirit of God empowers you, and it changes the way you face each situation in your life. It has to change it. Instead of walking around with guilt and shame and thinking, Lord, somehow I've got to pay you back for this, we remember, no, the Spirit of God has sealed me because of what Christ has done. And I can live my life without this shame. I can live my life without this guilt. Jesus said, I take that burden from you. Would you let it go? Don't see as God, or as man sees, but see as God sees. See, David was being prepared he understood that this was more than what meets the eye. Jump over to chapter 17. In chapter 17, we find the actual battle taking off here. And, and, and as David shows up on the scene, there's some pretty good moments here. David shows up 
Early in the morning, he left his flock, this is in verse 20 of chapter 17, with a keeper and took the supplies and went as his dad commanded him. He came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Now, if we skip all the way down, David started, when he hears the challenge of of Goliath, he starts asking around, why is no one going out there? What's going to happen to the guy who defeats him? And now in verse 28, David's oldest brother, Eliav, his oldest brother, heard when David was speaking to the men, and his anger burned against David and said, why have you come out here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? (laughs) Doesn't sound like an older brother. (laughs) What are you doing here? Go back to your little petty life with your few little sheep, your little responsibilities, you insignificant life. Go back and leave us here. Quit mocking us. Quit because he knew he felt fear. And here's David wondering why we haven't done anything. David is a good little brother. What have I done now? Wasn't it just a question? (laughs) See, these conversations have been taking place in homes for thousands of years, so rest easy, parents. (laughs) So David turned away from him to someone else and kept asking the same thing, and and then people kept answering as they did before. Now, finally, David goes to Saul, and he says, let no man's heart fall on account of this giant, for your servant will go and fight him. And Saul said, you're not able to go and fight the Philistine, for you're but a youth, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David said, your your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after them and attacked him, and I rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Love to see that. Then your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the paw or the hand of the Philistine. See, the first part of the story was preparation. The second part of the story is the training. It's the training. See, David was a shepherd boy, and God, you could easily say, why am I in an insignificant role as the youngest of eight sons? Why am I out in the fields? In fact, we learned about David as he spent most of his time in the fields of the hills outside of Bethlehem in Jerusalem, tending sheep. We learned that he became very skilled at playing what would be kind of the ancient guitar. (laughs) He had a lot of time on his hands. He wrote about half of the Psalms in the Bible were songs that David wrote. Likely, very many of them, he developed that skill while he was hanging out in the hills. I believe that Psalm 23 is one of the most famous Psalms written. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Doesn't it make sense that he wrote that when he's sitting out there in the fields, pondering about his good God? And thinking, I'm just a shepherd boy. And he realized, no, God is a shepherd to me. He takes care of my needs just as I take care of these sheep. And I, with God as my shepherd, I shall not want anything. So he writes this beautiful psalm that many people know to this day. But what we think was insignificant, God was saying, you're in training. I'm going to do something with your life. I have something for you. He killed a lion and a bear. Now, I think right there, I thought that was enough. Right? I would say, here's the story. I've killed lions and bears. I can take on this guy. That's, that was, 
me seeing as man sees. But notice what David actually said. The Lord who delivered me from the hand of the lion and the bear. The Lord who showed up. The Lord who was faithful in those moments. That's the God that I serve. And that God is going to show up again. He's going to do it again. You see, David didn't say, so he's, he put me out there and I'm the strongest guy you have. I'm the best warrior you have. No, God has shown up in my life time and again, and I trust he's going to do it again. In our lives, when we go through things, God is training us to help us believe more in who he is. We see that when we need peace, that he actually can meet us in those moments when we need the peace of God that comes in no other place. And he will do it again. He will show up again. See, David said, God is the one who delivered me, and I think he will be there again. His training was not about his physical force, although that was part of it, right? But it was what he believed about his God. Now, we also found that he was skilled with a sling. Now, here's the sling. When I used to hear this story, I thought it was like those slingshots I buy for my kids. You know, you go to Target, you buy the little slingshot right there, and they work for a few days until they break or a window does, one of the two. And, and that's kind of how it works in my house anyway. But they didn't have a little sling like that, a slingshot. These were slings that were these long leather straps that had a little pouch at the end and they picked up these rocks. Some of them actually made uh, kind of like balls about this big in them and they would whip them around. In Judges chapter 20, uh, verse 16, it actually says that the tribe of the Benjamites got so good at the sling that they could throw it from a, a long distance and hit a hair on someone's head. We know from ancient sources that they believe that some of them could throw these up to 130 miles an hour. And so David was good with the sling and he could hit a hair on someone's head with it. So again, think of David and Goliath the way we've always understood it. The guy who doesn't stand a chance against the great warrior. Now, do you think David understood this? That guy has a sword. I've got a sling. This will be easy. Are you kidding me? That's the real story. But we think the story is that there, you don't stand a chance. And David's thinking, you don't stand a chance. How far can you reach with your little sword? <laughs> David understood. But again, all those years in the wilderness, has anyone ever hung out just out on a country, like you're sitting there out in the hills doing nothing for a while? How many of you ever picked up a rock and you throw it at a tree and then you're like, oh, I got to do that again? <laughs> how, how often does that come and become an epic competition? <laughs> if it's you and a friend or just you. I mean, think of a shepherd boy hanging out, trying to sling. Ah, I missed that tree. Let me try again. How often do you think he threw that thing? Growing up, I was a pitcher. I used to throw a baseball against the wall. I got to the point where I could hit a brick. And I would throw for hours every day because I loved it so much. So I got this very accurate with this. David understood how to do this. He, he was in training and he didn't even know it. God was preparing this story so we understood this wasn't a, an underdog story. And so David was in training and he was getting very good at this. 
He was getting good at understanding who his God was. He was getting good at understanding the situation. And he also very well knew that his God was so good and he pursued him and loved him. And how could we possibly let our nation bow to another who's going to bring foreign deities? So then we get to the good part of the story here. And this is a part, so we had preparation, we had training. And what does that lead to in our lives? It leads to confidence. It leads to confidence in who our God is and what he can do through us. See, God was not going after the outward appearance this day. And the pride in David's life probably would have said, I will fight Goliath with the sword. I will wear the armor. I will do what you want me to do, Saul, because this is hand-to-hand combat. I would think that you would think, okay, I better fight him his way. No. No. This isn't the way God has prepared the moment. And so he comes to him, and and, and there's a few moments in here we want to see. I love this. The Philistine in verse 41 came and approached David with a shield bearer and said, he looked at David and he disdained him, for he was but a youth. He was ruddy with handsome appearance. I love that they add that detail. You're coming out, me? You're small? You're young? You're pretty good looking? You're going to fight me? Seriously? <laughs> I love the details in scripture sometimes. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field. And David said, now get this, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of your army this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And he had blue painted on his face, and he was, you know, sorry, never mind. I don't think he did, but. In verse 47, and all this, he ends it with, you may know that there is a God in Israel, and check out verse 47. And all of this assembly, all of the army of Israel, may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice his confidence. You're going to learn, Goliath, today, and your army is going to learn that the God of Israel is still on his throne. That the God who led Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt, he's still the God who's in our lives today. You're going to learn that. So you're going to see the power of our God on display. But more so, don't miss verse 47. Did David turn around and say, in all of this assembly, all of our people are going to learn a valuable lesson today? And that is, our Lord is the one fighting the battle. And he's not going to deliver the way they thought he needed to deliver because the battle is the Lord's. And today, they will see. And they will learn. And they're going to know who their God really is. You see, in this story, the giant is not the issue. How many times do we think in our lives that the giant is the issue? We have a a great 
something that we're facing and we think, I don't know how I'm gonna face this. There's a giant in my way. I'm David and here's Goliath that I'm facing. But in this story, that's not the issue at all. The giant's a character in the story. The issue is our God. Will he show up? Will he get us through? Just this week, I have a very dear friend of mine who uh, they found had a, a, actually has a brain tumor, a cancerous brain tumor, and they uh, did surgery, and I was with he and his wife uh, before it and talking to them and thinking this was not the way they were expecting the week to go. Sunday, everything was fine. Wednesday, he was in surgery. And to talk with them and to say, I don't even know what to say and what they're up against and they understood what they were facing. It's going to be a long, hard road. But it was so encouraging to me to see their confidence. To say, we're in the right place. We're where we need to be. See, we believe our God is going to show up. We don't know how he's going to show up. We don't know if that means that Everything's going to be okay. We don't know what that means for our kids. We don't know. But we do know that our God has been faithful to us in many ways, and he'll be faithful again. We know that we're loved by our God, and even though we're going through this, we still have this confidence in who he is. I was very encouraged and challenged by their faith this week. You see, the issue is not the giant. When we understand who our God is, the giants are actually pretty small. They're the underdog. The real underdog in this story is anyone who stands against our God and his character and who he is. David understood that, and the nation of Israel was about to learn it. Now, I wish I could say that the rest of David's life was perfect, and he was awesome, and he was always a great story. We're actually going to look at more of David's life and see that he had his flaws. But as we end our time, what's our response to this here today? See, because when I think of this, I also think of another battle that was fought that seemed like a David and Goliath moment. A battle that was, a, that was fought that seemed like one that we had no chance. See, because for thousands of years, we as humans tried to justify ourselves in the eyes of God by following enough laws and pleasing God enough times and making enough right decisions that God could be pleased with us. And we found that that is a Goliath. We couldn't conquer our own sinfulness. And then God sent another one, his son Jesus, who showed up. And even when he hung on the cross, and I think the enemies of God rejoiced, and death itself celebrated, we finally defeated the Son of God. But Jesus had confidence. He knew the plan. He was prepared for the moment. And the real underdog was sin and death itself. As Jesus conquered it once and for all, for you and for me, that we may have hope for all eternity. See, we're reminded that this is just how our God does things. It's not the way we would do it. He doesn't see as we see. He sees how he sees it. And so he goes to the cross for you and for me, and once and for all, there's the ultimate victory that we can have here today. And that victory should give us confidence in our lives. 
to know that whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, whatever decisions you've made that were not good decisions, whatever decisions you'll make in your future, Jesus Christ will conquer those he already has. The battle is won, it's not yours, it's his. Is anyone with me on that? And we don't have to go around living our lives as if there's no hope because the hope is already secured. It's done. The battle is the Lord's in your life. We've won because of what Christ has done. As I invite the band up, I want to share with you the last verse of Psalm 23. I love this. David has already written about Lord being a shepherd and protecting him through the valley of death and preparing a table before him in the presence of his enemies and all these great images. And in verse six of Psalm 23, it says this. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Some of your versions say follow me. The better word here in Hebrew is pursue me. See, the one thing that David understood is God's goodness and mercy, his loving kindness, will pursue you all the days of your life. You can't outrun God's goodness and his mercy. Someone you love who's been running from God, let them run right now because they can't outrun the love of God. They can't outrun his mercy. You can't do it. You can try. Some of you are in here today thinking, I'm resisting, I'm resisting. You come here and you don't even feel like worshiping because you say, I, I don't, I'm not worthy to be here, but you can't outrun the mercy of God. He's, he will pursue you all the days of your life. And he's already overcome. He's already given us the victory. Let's receive that today and rejoice and celebrate knowing this isn't the underdog story. The ending is secure. That's who our God is. Let's, as we end, would you just stand with me as we pray? And we'll sing one last song. Lord God, I pray that in this place this morning, I pray that you would just send your peace and your presence. Send your mercy. Lord, there's some who are in here this morning who who've been facing a battle that they don't know how they're going to get through it. And Lord, there may not be an easy answer when we look at it as man looks at it. And so we understand that there's sometimes some hard things we're going to go through. But Lord, in those hard things, help us believe who you are. Help us believe that you will show up with your presence. Help us believe that your peace is real and that you can walk with us through anything. God, help us believe that you are still on your throne and have the power to change hearts and lives and circumstances and that you have not left us. God, for anyone in here this morning who thinks the sin in his or her life is too much for you to bear, would you help them believe right now, Lord, that what you did on the cross is far superior to any dumb decision we've ever made and ever will make. Lord, so this morning, help us grow in our belief to trust that this battle is yours, the victory is won, and we are yours. We give you this time in Jesus' name. 
Amen.